America, and welcome to the Dean's List, and welcome to History Class. Today is History Class, Columbus 101. Christopher Columbus 101, that is the lesson for the day. It is October 12th. Today is the day that Columbus landed. How do we know that? Because we have documentation. We have journals. We have letters. We have not only the journals and letters of Columbus, but we have the writings of his men. We know that they struck land on October 12th. We also know that over the past several years, the name Columbus has been marred and dragged through the mud. Really, you know, along with other founders, other individuals who we once considered to be heroes, heroes of our history, the progressivism, the Marxism, the leftism that's taken over education in this country has determined that these individuals should no longer be considered heroes. That is a shame. It should not be. Uh, and and But because of that, many of our students have no idea who Christopher Columbus even was. If they hear of the name Columbus, they instantly think of this homicidal maniac, this genocidal maniac, this crazed lunatic who just destroyed life wherever he went. I have uh, made reference in the past to my cousin Kelly, not to be confused with my cousin Benny. And she was teaching a um, government, you know, history class, substituting long-term in a Christian school, I might add. And Columbus came up and, you know, when she, when, when she mentioned Columbus instantly, the kids in her class, it was all negative. They only had, you know, negative things to say and think about him. And it's because, well, this is what uh, a generation has been raised to believe and uh unfortunately it's it's happen it it's happening across the landscape you know as i said she she was in a christian school well today we are going to dive in to the reality of it all we're going to find some truth we're going to find some some truth in in who christopher columbus was i'm not sure if you are aware of this but In the Capitol Rotunda, there is a massive 14 by 20 painting called The Landing of Columbus. It's one of eight paintings depicting significant events in American history, and it's on permanent display in the rotunda of the U.S. Capitol. Our founding fathers uh, believed in what Christopher Columbus accomplished. And generations that followed believed in what he accomplished. And there came a point in time where there was a group of individuals that decided in order to change things in this country, we really had to start rewriting history. We had to start demonizing and villainizing individuals who we once considered heroes. Uh, And Christopher Columbus was public enemy number one. I'm going to play a clip for you. This is an older clip. It's from 2015. 
and it is uh i think the the news program is is cbs this morning it's one of the cbs programs from 2015 and it, it'll give you an idea and a glimpse of of what we're dealing with and what we have been hearing uh repeatedly just you know we've just put this thing on repeat well not we but people in the media people in education have put this new columbus story on repeat so take a listen to this and then we'll dissect it and it'll it'll give us some context uh in terms of uh what we're actually dealing with okay let's take a listen tomorrow is columbus day and the holiday will be observed on monday it marks 522 years since the italian navigator put the new world on the map for many americans that means a welcome three-day weekend but some are taking a stand on columbus day represents the beginning of the end for native ways of life in the americas they want to rename the holiday we are joined now by the author of the don't know much series of history books historian kenneth c davis Good morning. Good morning. Always a pleasure. So why now? We've known a lot of these things for a while. We have known a lot of these things now. It's, it's interesting to go back and look. It's the way we ch change the way we treat history. In 1892, Columbus was a symbol of progress and enlightenment. That's what the president said at the time. There was an exposition uh, called the Columbian Exposition, which actually be, was better known as the Chicago's World's Fair. Columbus was seen as this, this uh, idea of exploration and discovery and bringing things to the so-called New World, and it skipped the dark side of the story, that his arrival really marked the end of life uh, for tens of millions of Native Americans, who he, by the way, misnamed Indians. Mm -hmm. He wasn't really a very nice guy, is the No, point. he wasn't. Uh, <laughs> he, he immediately saw that uh, he, he could put these people to work. Uh, the, the, there was forced labor. The, the punishments were pretty draconian. Mm -hmm. uh, he would chop off hands. He would crucify uh, the natives if they didn't uh, produce their quota of gold. How then? All right, let's pause the clip there for a second because we just have to digest some things. This becomes now the the running theme, the running narrative. Again, this was from 2015, CBS, one of the CBS news shows. And the, the female anchor says, Columbus Day represents the beginning of the end for a way of life for natives in America. And, and now this is the theme. Matter of fact, this is why the, the movement was to rename the day Indigenous Peoples Day. Um, at, matter of fact, on my calendar here at school, it would have been Monday. So Columbus Day is celebrated the second Monday in October. My calendar says Columbus Day, and underneath that it says Indigenous Peoples Day. Then, of course, under that it says Thanksgiving Day in, Cal in Canada. But, you know... Uh, I guess we won't talk about Canada today. So the move was to to rename the day completely and call it Indigenous Peoples Day because the theme was that when Columbus landed, it was the beginning of the end for the natives. Have you heard that? I mean, you know, we've probably all heard that, I'm sure. And so we need to discover the truth. Is it really the beginning of the end? And so they're interviewing this author. His name is Ken C. Davis, and he's written a series of books called Don't Know Much About History, uh, amply titled, I might add, amply titled, that's all I'm going to say about it. And so she says to him, 
the the there, there's two anchors here, a male and a female. We haven't heard the the the, the guy yet, but the lady says, "So, you know, how did this change?" You know, because before we used to uh, revere Columbus as a hero. Why now all of a sudden? And his answer, the author of this book, Ken C. Davis, the book entitled Don't Know Much About History, his answer is telling. He says, it's the way we change the way we treat history. We've changed the way we have treated history. That is interesting. He says, in 1892, we viewed Columbus as a symbol of progress, discovery, expedition, uh, enlightenment. You know, we had this view of him as, you know, discovering the new world. Uh, the, the Chicago World's Fair was actually called the Columbian Expedition. And, of course, the World's Fair was all about you know, new discoveries, um, you know, new inventions, new things on display. I mean, it was it was in a time of discovery. the The eighteen ninety two World's Fair uh, marked the four hundredth anniversary of of Columbus landing. Matter of fact, it was there that the Star Spangled Banner was was uh, read for the first time by by a a, a choir. Um, a group of boys who um, this was before it was called the the Star Spangled Banner, but and and it was written and it was it was performed in honor of Columbus. That was the whole point of it. However, again, the author of the book says, in reference to Columbus, actually his arrival marked the end of life for tens of millions of Native Americans. For tens of millions. Is that true? Is that really what happened? Did he really, uh, did, did, did his arrival truly mark the end of life for tens of millions? So this is the narrative. It's now been repeated twice in a span of about 30 seconds on national TV. So what the kids are being taught in class in public schools it's now being reiterated in, in the media on a serious news program, I might add. Serious adults, serious thinking adults are watching this serious news program. And, you know, so what their kids are being told in school is now being reinforced to the adults. And then, and then the anchor follows up with, you know, after he says his arrival marked the end of life for tens of millions of Native Americans, he says, who he, by the way, misnamed Indians. How dare he? How dare he misname them Indians? I mean, he just lacks the common courtesy of an actual explorer. If you're going to be an actual explorer, I mean, shouldn't you at least have the decency to name the people properly? And then the other, and then we hear from the other anchor. The man says, "Well, he wasn't really a very nice guy." Is the point? And he's kind of asking it in the in the way of a question. And then you know the author says, "No, he wasn't. He he, he really wasn't a very nice guy, was he? No, he wasn't. He he had the he, he had the gall. He had the audacity to misname them Indians. This is if this wasn't." 
If this wasn't serious, it would be hilarious. It's like a comedy hour. And then it comes the, the string of accusations. He immediately saw he could put these people to work, the author says. And see Davis. There was forced labor, he says. Draconian punishments, he says. He would chop off hands, he says. He would crucify the natives if they didn't produce their quota of gold. All right. So there are some accusations here. There are, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. There are five specific accusations of things that uh, Columbus specifically did that they're claiming. And then, of course, the general accusation that he ended the way of life for Native Americans, that his arrival marked the end of life for tens of millions of Native Americans, who he misnamed, by the way. I forgot about that accusation. All right, one, two, three, four, five. So we have five specific accusations. So how do we know? How do we know if these if these accusations are accurate? How do we know if they're true or not? Oh, amazingly enough, we we can go back to the writings. We can go back and discover it on our own if we want to. I mean, that's what we're going to do today. Welcome to history class. All right. Uh, we've got to get back to this interview, though, because there's there's one more clip that, that you've got to hear, and then we can start having some fun with it. And Kenneth, did, did this actually end up being a day? I mean, a holiday here? Interesting. Well, partly it's the way we like to tell history as a story of pride and patriotism, right. and somebody has an agenda. And so in 1892, it was a big deal for America. By uh, 1934, when it became a national holiday, the Knights of Columbus, an Italian-American organization, really was had the political clout to get it named as a holiday that still celebrated those ideas of progress and enlightenment. It's only later on that the scholarship showed how terrible this arrival really was for the Native American people. In the context of the time period, you can understand why the version was started. But why was this sanitized version of Christopher Columbus, why did it continue to be passed down? Because we like to have a sanitized version of history. We're even still fighting over that today in America. Who tells the story? Mm -hmm. uh, we just had a fight over this in Colorado where a school board wanted a, 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 a history that leaves out civil discord and, and, uh, and civil disobedience. But we can't tell history that way. That's not what uh, history is really about. We have to tell the dark and the good side of the story. And, and that's certainly what I've always tried to do. It's a lot more interesting that way. So now there's this discussion about, as we see a movement already afoot in a number of places, to, to rename the day and re sort of repurpose it, if you will. I'm not sure I'd call it Indigenous People's Day. I might send that back to the marketing department. But <laughs> well, it's, it certainly caught on in Berkeley, California, and I believe Seattle. Uh, another state calls it Native Americans Day. Some people have tried to go for Discoverer's Day, that we should celebrate the mm -hmm. idea of discovery and exploration which is a, a, a notable idea. But I think it's always a good way to say, let's talk about what this really meant, what, uh, who Columbus was, what his arrival actually meant. Um, we're talking about Ebola right now. Columbus also introduced the diseases that probably wiped out most of the Native American people. So um, interesting connections of past to present. Always fascinating. Kenneth C. Davis. So a uh, couple things here. He... 
he makes a point by saying that you know we have to tell both sides of the story in history. We have to tell uh, you know the dark and the light. We have to tell the good and the bad. And he says, well, at least that's that's what I try to do. I try to tell both sides of the story. He, you know, but he's not he's not given any any good points of the story here of Columbus. All he's talking about is the accusations. That that's it. That's all he's mentioning. At least that's that's what I try to do. I try to give I try to give both sides of the story. It's almost as if they believed that we only told the good of Columbus. And now we have to just swing that pendulum to the other side and we're only going to tell the evil to the extent that we get rid of the day altogether. That day has to go. We have to call it Indigenous People's Day, which the anchor, I don't know if you caught this, but the anchor said, oh, that Indigenous People's Day, I don't know that I'd take that. We should send that back to marketing. We got to come up with a different, different name. But Indigenous People's Day has stuck. I mean, that's what it says on my calendar. My desk calendar says that October 9th of this year, we celebrated Indigenous Peoples Day. Well, today is the 12th, so we're going to dive into some accurate history of Columbus. Really? Uh, what's the truth here? Well, let's figure it out. We'll pick it up on the other side of this break. You're listening to The Dean's List on America Out Loud Talk Radio. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD. The pandemic may be over for some. But millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company discuss the harmful effects of spike protein in your body. And now they found the solution. The miracle enzyme natokinase. Their spike support formula contains natokinase the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body. What's more, spike support is optimized with other all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, like dandelion root, to help prevent spike protein from binding to your cells. Everyone should take daily spike support so you can feel your best. America Out Loud listeners can go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. 
Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Welcome back to the Dean's List. I'm Dean Bowen, and we're in history class today. The, the, the historical accounts of Christopher Columbus. That's what we are diving into. So we heard a clip in the last segment. This was from 2015. It was one of the CBS morning shows, and they are talking about Columbus Day. And the whole premise of the clip is that the name needs to be changed to you know, something else, something that honors uh, the indigenous and native folks uh, who the narrative says Columbus abused, enslaved. Um, you know, we heard this author, Ken C. Davis, who wrote this book, Don't Know Much About History. I guess it's a series, at least that's how the the anchor introduced it. Don't Know Much About History. And uh, the title is correct, you know, because their their rewriting of history is, uh, I guess, shines shines the light on the fact that you know they 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 actually do know a lot about history, but they want to rewrite it ultimately. And I've got some opinions on that, which I will share. Before class is over, I will dive into that. So uh, she asks him, you know, the, first of all, the premise is that uh, Columbus Day represents the beginning of the end for a way of life for natives in America. The anchor said that uh, the author said that the arrival of Columbus marked the end of life for tens of millions of Native Americans. And then, of course, the other anchor just comments, he wasn't really a very nice guy, was he? Columbus just wasn't a nice guy. And so the narrative is he shows up here and he just starts enslaving people, murdering people. Um, the author of this book says he immediately saw he could put these people to work. There was forced labor. There were draconian punishments. He would chop off hands. He would crucify the natives if they didn't produce their quota of gold. Okay, so we're going to dive into this, and we're gonna we're going to discover yeah, what actually happened. In the second clip, the anchor asks him, "How did it become a holiday? You know, so if this, yeah, yeah, you know, if if Columbus is just this evil." How in the world are we are we celebrating him? And the answer that the the author gives us is intriguing. He says it's the way we like to tell history as stories uh, with pride and patriotism. Somebody has an agenda. Hmm. What? Wait. Wait. What? 
it's the way we like to tell history as stories of pride and patriotism. Somebody has an agenda. So because we like to tell stories of America with, with pride and patriotism, then we have an agenda. That's the that's the statement. <laughs> How dare you recount uh, history with, with pride and patriotism? What kind of agenda do you have? Don't you know that when you tell history, it's supposed to be in the light of negativity that this country is horrible? Don't you know that's how you're supposed to tell it? Oh, yeah, no, everything the country has done, everything it represents, all these heroes that we have, we shouldn't have because they're all horrible. The country's horrible. Yeah, it's the way we like to tell history as stories of pride and patriotism. Somebody has an agenda. And then he says... Uh, we're in this fight over who tells the story of history. And that is telling. We are in a fight over who tells the story of history because how the story of history is told will shape what our future looks like. Because if we are telling the story of history in a very negative light, then we are going to raise generations that hate this country and would be okay with the country being fundamentally changed. The country was founded on, on freedom. It was founded on morality. It was founded on unalienable rights. It was founded on uh, truths that the, the founders believed to be self-evident that all men were created equal and were endowed with our creator with certain unalienable rights. And then it lists some, you know, we could, we could break out the declaration, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's not an exclusive list though. It, it's not a, an exhaustive list. You know, we have the right to self-defense. Parents have, have parental rights to raise their children as, as they see fit. These are the things the country was founded on. But if the, if the historical version can be recrafted to make, make it out to be evil, that the founding was established on evil, that it was established on something as heinous and horrible as slavery and abuse of others, then we can, we can change the country. Then we can do some rewriting. Then we can recraft the future. And that is their objective. That is the Marxist objective. Dean, does everything point back to the Marxist? I'm sorry, but it does. Absolutely, it does. Because they would love nothing more than to remove this country. Uh, they would love nothing more than, than to take it over, than to distort our freedoms and destroy our freedoms. And so, you know, they're in charge. So, yes, we are in a fight over who tells the story of history. And then they, you know, they say, we need to, we need to call this Indigenous Peoples Day. And that's when the other anchor says, eh, we need to send that, that title back to back to marketing. I don't think that's going to stick. And then the author of the book, what's his name? Ken C. Davis. Ken says, well, it it seems to be sticking in, in places like Berkeley and Seattle. Berkeley and Seattle, huh? 
hotbeds of leftism, Berkeley and Seattle. That's exactly what those places are. And then he says, um, it was, uh, you know, because she she go, she's asking him about the holiday. How is it? I, I didn't really address that. She says, how how is it that that this thing is a is a holiday? And after he um after he says, well, it's because you know the people that are telling the historical stories like to do it with with pride and patriotism. He talks about the Knights of Columbus and how that uh, they they pushed for this in 1934 that there would be a holiday celebrating Columbus. And then he says, it was later on that the scholarship showed how terrible the arrival was for Native Americans. It was later on. It, yeah, I mean, later on after 1934, that the scholarship showed. So, you know, by scholarship, he's referring to intellectual knowledge or, you, you know, maybe some new research. I, I don't know. I don't know what that knowledge or, or new research or, or scholarship would be that showed how terrible the arrival was for Native Americans. He says, uh, Columbus introduced the diseases that probably wiped out most of the Native Americans. All right. And then he goes on to say that we have to tell the whole story, good and bad. And he says, I, you know, I, I, I do that. I, I tell the good and the bad, but all I'm hearing here is the bad. So let's take a moment and let's, let's address some of the claims here. Matter of fact, I mean, we're going to address all the claims. I've got some books I'm going to reference. I will tell you what they are. Some of my favorite authors here, William J. Federer. David Barton, William Bennett. Um, I mean, we're just going to, I have original source documents. We have journal entries. You know, Columbus documented his, his journeys. He made, he made four trips to the new world and they're documented. And we have his documents to reference. Not only his though. I mean, there were other, other people that also left journals and letters to the royalty back in Spain. We we have writings. We can go back and we can, you know, check our our talking heads of today. I'm going to start in the American Patriots Almanac uh, by William J. Bennett. He says Christopher Columbus had all kinds of trouble finding a crew to venture across the Atlantic. No one wanted to sail into the Sea of Darkness. Somehow, he scraped together 90 men. When the tiny Nina, Pinta, and Santa Maria finally set out, they passed an erupting volcano. The terrified sailors took the billowing smoke and flames as an evil omen. Columbus calmed their, calmed their fears and persuaded them to sail on. After several days, the compass began to vacillate away from the North Star. The confused men fell into a panic, but their admiral convinced them to keep going. The winds blew day after day to the west, pushing them across the sea. The crew began muttering, what if the winds always blew west? How could their ship ever sail back to Spain against the westward winds? They met thick stretches of green seaweed, which the men feared would entangle their rudders. Who knew what monsters lurked in these ocean forests? They cast dark scowls at Columbus. Every so often, someone cried land, 
but it was only low clouds hanging in the horizon, a mirage of the sea. The crew plunged into despair. Columbus sailed on. They saw birds overhead, which gave them hope. They tried following their direction, but saw nothing. The sullen crew neared mutiny. There was talk of throwing the admiral into the sea and forcing the pilots to turn around. Columbus, refusing to flinch, wheeled his vessel on. Then came the dawn that raised an island from the swells. Columbus reached a new world. The day was October 12th, 1492. Columbus sailed the ocean blue. I mean, we all know the, we all know the rhyme. All right, let me go to William J. Federer. And actually, let's go to something Columbus wrote between his his third journey and his fourth journey. Um, he, he and in this writing, it's called Book of Prophecies, and this is what Columbus has to say: It was the Lord who put into my mind; I could feel His hand upon me. The fact that it would be possible to sail from here to the Indies. All who heard of my project rejected it with laughter, ridiculing me. Nobody wanted to be a part of this. As um, Bennett said, uh, you know, Columbus, it, it took him a long time to find people to do this. Nobody had sailed this course before. And people were afraid. They had no idea what they were getting into. And in Columbus's own writings, uh, he said, people laughed at me. They ridiculed me. They're like, Columbus, you're crazy. Nobody wants to go out there with you. He continues, there is no question that the inspiration was from the Holy Spirit, because he comforted me with rays of marvelous illumination from the Holy Scriptures, a strong and clear testimony from the 44 books of the Old Testament, from the four Gospels, and from the 23 epistles of the blessed apostles encouraging me continually to press forward, and without ceasing for a moment, they now encourage me to make haste. Did you know that uh, Columbus was extremely religious, very devout, and he felt the inspiration of God to, to make this journey, to make this excursion? And that's how he convinced King Ferdinand and, and Queen Isabel to sponsor it, in large part because he felt inspired by the Holy Spirit to, to make this excursion, to, to investigate, to explore, to explore for Christ and his kingdom. Now, today we're told eh, Columbus was greedy, he was murderous, he was genocidal, he was ruthless. All right, so we're going to read from Columbus's own own writings here. Uh, Bartolome de la Casas, called the Apostle of the Indies, was one of the first Christian missionaries to America. As the first priest ordained in the New World, he became known for his devotion to the oppressed and enslaved nations. In addition to knowing Columbus personally, Bartolome's father and uncle were shipmates and colonists under Columbus. Bartolome copied Columbus's original journal of the first voyage into an abstract, in which is recounted, 
here. And this is out of uh, William J. Federer's book, America's God and Country. So he's citing the, the redrafting of Columbus's journal by the, by the hand of Bartolome de la Casas. Here's the entry on October 10th. Here the people could stand it no longer and complained of the long voyage, but the admiral cheered them as best he could, holding out good hope of the advantages they would have. He added that it was useless to complain. He had to go to the Indies and so had to continue it until he found them with the help of our Lord. So on October 10th, you know, Columbus was still, you know, trying to calm his men down. October 12th, here's the entry. At two hours after midnight, appeared the land at a distance of two leagues. On October 16th, here's the entry. I don't recognize in them any religion. He's talking about the natives. I don't recognize in them any religion, and I believe that they very promptly would turn Christian, for they are of very good understanding. His objective, one of his main objectives, is to convert the natives to Christianity. Here is his entry on December 12th. Columbus raised a great cross at the entrance of the harbor of Mustique Bay on the northwest coast of the island of Hispanolia. As a sign that your highnesses hold the country for yours, and principally for a sign of Jesus Christ our Lord, and honor of Christianity. Here's December 16. Because they, he's referring to the, the natives, because they are the best people in the world and above all the gentlest. I have much hope in our Lord that your highnesses will make them all Christians and they will be all yours. As for yours, I hold them. Uh, they are the best people in the world and above all the gentlest. Um, does that sound like a man who, according to Ken C. Davis, um, immediately saw he could put these people to work immediately? Uh, and there was forced labor and draconian punishment. He'd chop off their hands. He, he, he just said, because they are the best people in the world and above all the gentlest, I have much hope in our Lord that your highnesses will make them all Christians. All right, um, let's pause right there. We're going to take a break. We'll pick it up on the other side. You're listening to The Dean's List on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Change in the world one person at a time. Here, we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity.
For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus-hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Welcome back to the Dean's List. I'm Dean Bowen. We're in history class today, and we are discussing the history of Christopher Columbus. Now, we just read from his journals, and I need to point something out to you, that Columbus landed on October 12th, and you know, here we are on December 12th, so two months later, he's he's been with these people for two months, he's raising a cross, and he's dedicating um, this voyage to Christ. On December 16th, he makes this statement, because the natives, he says they, and he's referring to the natives, because they are the best people in the world, and above all the gentlest, I have much hope in our Lord that your highness will make them all Christians. On December 24th, Okay, he's been with them for two and a half months. He says, Your Highness may believe that in all the world there can be no better or gentler people. Does this sound like somebody who, in the words of Ken C. Davis, immediately saw he could put these people to work and you know force them into labor with draconian punishments? You know, you know, there's there is no evidence of that you know, here in, in, in his own writings. Your Highness may believe that in all the world there can be no better or gentler people. Your Highnesses should feel great joy because presently they will be Christians and instructed in the good manners of your realms. For a better people there cannot be on earth. And both people and land are in such quantity that I don't know how to write it. This is this is not the words of a genocidal maniac. This is not the words of somebody who is interested in enslaving a population. These are the words of a man who has a deep love for Christ and who wants to spread Christianity. The first island Columbus landed on, he christened San Salvador, meaning Holy Savior, then he knelt and prayed the following. So uh, we have his prayer here. O Lord, almighty and everlasting God, 
by thy holy word, thou hast created the heaven and the earth and the sea. Blessed and glorified be thy name, and praised be thy majesty, which hath designed to use us, thy humble servants, that thy holy name may be proclaimed in this second part of the earth. The, the, the whole point of his journey is to proclaim the name of the Lord in the second half of the earth, this second part that he has discovered. As they landed on each island, Columbus and his men erected a large wooden cross. As a token of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and in the honor of the Christian faith. Hmm. According to Columbus' personal log, his purpose in seeking undiscovered worlds was to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the heathens and bring the word of God to unknown coastlands. Well, now we can't have that, can we? Uh, we can't have that as, as part of our history. I mean, not, I mean, you know, not if the Marxists are in charge. We absolutely can't have that as part of our history. That the, the, the whole point of his excursion was to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to these uncharted lands. No, see, we're going to have to do some rewriting. Otherwise, you know, how can we get rid of it? You know, we, we have to say that, you know, his landing represented the beginning of the end of the way of life for Native Americans. We have to say that his arrival marked the end of life for tens of millions of Native Americans. We have to say he immediately saw he could put these people to work and there was forced labor and draconian punishments instantaneously. Yep, no, that's that's what we have to say. That's how we have to go about it. Um, yeah, absolutely. So let me go to, to David Barton's book, The American Story. Uh, Barton says this, that uh, Columbus, oh, no, I'm sorry, that's the wrong page. For five centuries, people celebrated Columbus as a hero, with over 600 monuments erected around the world to honor him. So not just here, but around the world, people were honoring his discovery. The city of Washington, D.C. even bears his name. D.C. stands for District of Columbia or Columbus. But in recent years, he has been portrayed as a genocidal villain because of his so-called atrocious treatment of Native peoples. But, but too many of today's narratives fail to give the true story of his encounters and relationships with the early inhabitants of the Americas. Over Columbus' voyages to America, he interacted with two principal tribes. The first, which he met on his initial voyage, were the Teano, whom he viewed as very kind and gentle. He praised them as, quote, the best people in the world, which I read that to you out of his own journal. He openly affirmed, quote, a better race there cannot be. He, he liked these people. Um, you, you don't, you know, you don't show up on someone's land and refer to them as the best people of the world and not like them. And then, you know, attempt to enslave them and, and force them into labor. 
He even advocated for their full equality and citizenship with civil rights. The other tribe, however, and this is where it gets interesting, this, this portion of the story is completely lost to history. Our kids don't know it today. The other tribe, the Caribs, which is the root word of Caribbean, was the mortal enemy of the Teano. They routinely raided the Teano, enslaving their people and even cannibalizing them. So the Teano was the friendly tribe. Columbus lands, loves these people. He says, these are the best people in the world. And then he discovers that there is a second tribe known as the Caribs, and they are the mortal enemies of the Teano to the point that, you know, when they attack them and in, in battle, they eat them, cannibalize them. The Caribs were also known as the Canibs, from which we get the word cannibal. So our word cannibal comes from this very tribe. They were known as Caribs and Canibs. Caribs gives us Caribbean, Canibs gives us cannibals. On his first journey, the Teano told him about these cannibalistic atrocities. But at the time, Columbus was unable to investigate whether the reports were true. So he shows up, you know, he meets these people, he likes them, you know, he says, you know, these people are great. Uh, they are the best, you know, they're the best people in the world, he says. And then they tell him, oh, you know, there's another tribe and they are not like us. Matter of fact, they're evil. They are our mortal enemies. They attack us. They, and then they cannibalize us. They attack us and they eat us. And Columbus is like, what? That's horrible. Uh, of course, he, he shows up in October. And he's there through October, November, and December. So this is now December 24th. The Santa Maria ran aground on Christmas Eve, December 24th, 1492. The ship had to be abandoned. On the island of Haiti, Columbus left 40 men in a settlement named La Navidad, meaning the Nativity. He promised to return the next year. On January 13th, Columbus describes in his journal their first encounter with the cannibalistic tribe of the Canibs. And, you know, in this journal, he's saying that the, these, these men attacked us um, and we fought them off. Victoriously, I might add, they were afraid of us and they fled. So, yeah, uh, there was some fighting. Columbus and his men did treat the Canibs very harshly, but but they were coming to eat him. Yeah. <laughs> How come uh, Mr. Ken C. Davis doesn't tell the, the morning anchor on CBS that part of the story? This man who says, we have to tell the whole story, the good and the bad, and Columbus was horrible. <laughs> Columbus forced the, 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 the natives into la labor, forced labor, draconian punishments, chopping off their hands, crucifying them. Columbus was horrible. We have to tell the good and the bad. We, we, don't, we don't hear anything about the fact <laughs> that Columbus and his men were attacked by natives who, by the way, wanted to eat them. You know, that, that part's just brushed over. Yeah, we're going to ignore that part. 
and and we're gonna we're gonna start calling this Indigenous People Day because <laughs> Columbus's arrival marked the end of life for tens of millions of Native Americans. Well, I mean, it marked the end of life for the uh, the cannibals, the cannibals. That's accurate <laughs> because they wanted to eat him. I, I just. Yeah. You see with the attempt here to to rewrite the history and, you know, the fact that they come on national news and they say, well, you have to tell the good with the bad. And all they've done is tell the good. So all we're going to do is tell the bad um, in, in complete distortion uh, because their objective is to distort the truth. So it's not clear. That is their objective. And it's um, it's evil. On February fifteenth, all right. So this um, this happens. You know, Columbus, the Santa Maria runs aground. Columbus leaves forty men there. He says, "You guys stay. Uh, I've got to. I've got to. I'll take the other two ships. We'll go back to Spain, and then I will come back for you." And I'm going to bring a bunch of people because we're going to colonize this place. So you guys just stay put. I'll go back. So on February 15th, on his return trip from having discovered America, this is what Columbus writes to the king and queen. I forbade that they should be given things so worthless. So he's talking about the natives and, you know, their landing. Again, they're only with them for a couple of months. And Columbus says, I forbade that they should be given things so worthless as pieces of broken crockery and broken glass and lace points. Although when they were able to get them, they thought that they had the best jewel in the world. Thus it was learned that a sailor for a lace point received a gold to the weight of two and a half castellanos, and others much more for other things which were worth much less. Yea, for the new Blancas, for them they would give all that they had, although it might be two or three Castellanos, weight of gold, or an arroba or two of spun cotton. They even took pieces of the broken hoops of the wine casks, and like animals gave what they had, so that it seemed to me wrong, and I forbade it, and I gave them a thousand good, pleasing things, which I had brought, in order that they might be fond of us and furthermore might become Christians and be inclined to the love and service of their highnesses and of the whole Castilian nation, which is Spain. So I ask you, does that sound like a man who immediately saw that he could put these people to work? Does that sound like a man who would... Uh, crucify them or chop off their hands if they didn't meet their quota? Does that sound like a man who forced them into labor with draconian punishments? I mean, he he said, you know, we showed up and we had broken pieces of pottery and they were like, oh yeah, give me that broken piece of pottery. Here's gold for that. And Columbus says, no, this isn't right. No, I forbid it. You must give them something of value. You must give them something that is actually worth something, not a broken piece of pottery. 
He said, I forbade it, and I gave them a thousand good, pleasing things, which I had brought, in order that they might be fond of us and furthermore might become Christians and be inclined to the love and service of his highnesses and Spain and of the country. He wants there to be friendliness. He he wants there to be rapport. He, He wants there to be a connection, and he forbids his men to uh, offer in exchange for gold pieces of junk, worthless pieces of broken pottery. He absolutely forbids it. But yet, you know, we're told that Columbus was just on a quest for gold, that all he wanted was gold, 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 gold. And and by golly, I'm going to put these people to work. I've got forced labor and Uh, I'm going to chop off their hands and crucify them if they don't produce their quota of gold. Does it sound like that here in his writings? Um, Ah, Dean, he was lying in his writings. He actually did those things. Well, um, you know, there isn't actual proof of those things. I mean, we do have his writings, though. That's, you know, that's what we have. Columbus wrote a letter to uh, Spain's general treasurer. It says, that which the unaided intellect of man could not compass, the Spirit of God has granted to human human exertions. For God is wont to hear the prayers of his servants who love his precepts, even to the performance of apparent impossibilities. Therefore, let the king and queen, our princes and their most happy kingdoms, and all the other provinces of Christendom, render thanks to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This, uh, I don't have time to dive into it. I can't believe this this show is just about over. We got about 60 seconds. This, all right, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna pick up part two tomorrow. Part two of the history of Columbus tomorrow. This does not to me sound like a uh, a man who is hell-bent on murdering people. This sounds like a man who wants to share the love of his faith, the love of Christ with natives. But if Marxists are going to be in charge of our history and our education, they can't have that. They can't have our students learning that. They have to learn something completely different. They have to learn a lie. Essentially, they have to learn a lie. I hope this makes you as upset as it makes me. It just just makes me live it. All right. That's all the time we have for today, America. Thank you for joining me. We will pick up history class part two tomorrow. Encourage your friends and family to get on the Deeds list. Let's unite to renovate the age.